Hello and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Hannah and you can email me with your thoughts or questions on live at cicerone.co.uk. Today I'm talking to Will Rennick, gear reviewer at Outdoors Magic and president of Ramblers Wales. He's just back from an epic challenge running every mountain in Wales. That's 188 nuttles from their official list, plus one for good luck. He ran over 500 miles in three weeks because he couldn't get enough holiday time to run it, but also to raise money for an important mental health charity, Mountains Over Mind. Hi, Will. So when did you get back? Um, I got back late on Monday evening after a really long train journey from North Wales, which wasn't ideal. You weren't, you weren't tempted to run back? I'm not going to be running for a while. <laughs> I'm not going to be lifting a finger for a while, to be honest. My girlfriend Hannah's already sick of waiting on me hand and foot. I think my, my free pass is already wearing off now. Is it already? It's only been a few days. I know, but I've already milked it. Well, you, you're back to life with a, a bump today. Yeah, I, that's kind of been um, the, the shock to the system really is all those kind of really boring parts of life, like taking the car to the garage, taking Hannah to the train station this morning. So I had to race race to the station with her. Things like bills and, and whatever. It's just, you realise how um, fiddly life is when you've done something like spend the last three weeks with the sole aim of getting up in the morning, running, eating, sleeping, and, and that's about it. So it's um, a bit of a shock to the system, but I am still really glad to be home. It's very nice to have a, a roof over my head and a comfy bed and a sofa to sink into. There is a nice level of escapism though, even when you're doing something really hard and uncomfortable there's something lovely about just abandoning all reality and just going right all I've got to do today is get up and walk and then and then I'll I'll walk or I'll run or or whatever I'll cycle and then at the end I'll have some food and go to sleep and it's nothing extra it's just a simple life a very very simple life and uh yeah essentially hand-to-mouth existence and I think I will miss that a little bit but um the the novelty of home comforts is is also still very very nice it's funny how fast you adapt back to it, though, because when I went to Nepal, I remember coming back and having a shower where I could just switch on the water and it was going to be hot for as long as I wanted it. And I could just stay in the shower and just worship this hot water like it was a miracle. And then within a few days of being home, you're just so so used to everything being really comfortable and nice and normal again. And it's a shame to lose that. Yeah, I guess it's probably worth actually trying to just think about it every now and then, isn't it? Just think about how how lucky we are to have the convenience of, of things like that and um, and to cherish it a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenge? The idea for the challenge came about after I'd seen a BBC article about two guys, both of them called Mike, who had walked walked a route from South Wales to North Wales, taking in every mountain over 609 metres or everything over 2,000 feet. So essentially the Nettles list. And I saw their squiggly line going from South Wales to North Wales. And in just an absolute instant, I thought that would be an incredible thing to do. I would love to do that. And that seed was planted and I just couldn't get it out of my head afterwards because I'm a bit of a kind of Wales obsessive. I absolutely love Welsh landscape and I've spent my whole life exploring it, essentially. When I was 18, I, I walked off as dyke with a friend in between um, un- university terms and I think that really ignited the, the flame, really. And then after that, walked around Wales on the Wales Coast Path, linking up with the Offers Dyke. 
I did the Cambrian Way a few years ago. So I'm just hooked on exploring our landscape and I just want to see every inch of it and, and explore all its wild places. And seeing that route, I looked at it and I thought, well, wow, that would take me through the Radnor Forest. I've never been there. That would take me through the Bear Winds. I've never been there. The Arenigs. It just seemed like an obvious thing to do. But the problem was that they took 33 days to walk it. And ideally, I, I would have walked it. I'm a long distance walker by heart, but I just I couldn't see myself being able to take a month or more off from work. So I thought, well, what about if I tried to run it and tried to do it in about three weeks? If I could do 25 miles a day, that would that would take me three weeks. So then that became the aim. I mean, I mean, training wise, people always talk about the benefit of having time on your feet. And you've always had time on your feet, haven't you? You, you know, you've been walking for your whole life and you have been doing some ultra running as well. So I'm sure you were in a, a fairly strong state before you set off. I suppose I did a little bit of training, but definitely not as much as I should have done. But I kind of resigned myself to the fact that how do you train for that kind of thing? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a naive approach, I suppose. And that did come back to bite me very early on in the challenge. But I think I actually managed to learn on the job in the end. And um, by the end of it, I was kind of a mountain running machine, I think. <laughs> I remember once speaking to a professional ultra runner and I said to him, do you think walking is good training for long distance running? And he laughed at me and he said, absolutely not. But I completely disagree. I, I think that having a, a base of endurance from long distance hiking can make you a good long distance runner. I think there are a couple of examples out there, like Damien Hall, who started out as a long distance hiker and, um, and, and now has become pretty much Britain's leading ultra runner. And I think Jasmine Paris as well, when she set the record for the Montaigne Spine Race and she won, um, she said that she'd spent a week hiking in the Alps as preparation. I think walking builds this level of endurance that I guess you can't really train in the gym for. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And when you're doing these really long races where they're over several days, your average running pace isn't actually that fast, is it? Because you do walk for big chunks of it. Yeah, there, there are times where you just running would be impossible. Places like the Rinogid, where there are jagged rocks underfoot almost the entire way and, and the gradient is just incredibly steep. And you, so you've got to hike. Um, that said, some of the problems that I did have early on in the challenge were because I was trying to speed hike too much. So I think it's quite speed hiking or kind of power walking is a little bit of an unnatural motion. I think that was causing problems with my joints. Whereas if you're running, it's a slightly more fluid motion. And so ironically, when I stopped speed walking and started running properly, that's when some of the problems went away. What was it like carrying all the stuff as well? Because you were completely unsupported, weren't you? So you had all the food that you needed and all your camping stuff. So you must have had a really heavy load. Yeah, I, I thought long and hard about what kit I was going to be taking because I was going to be sleeping out in the elements and supporting myself. So I, I, I did carefully pick the kit that I was going to be taking and, and just made sure that the base weight of my pack was going to be as light as possible. So I think I started at six kilograms and probably finished at six kilograms as well, because while I realized that some of the lightweight kit that I took to start with wasn't up to scratch for the Welsh weather, especially the, the conditions that I ended up having in the last week, but actually six kilos, that's hardly anything. Quite impressed by that. 
I reckon there's quite a lot of kit geeks that really want to know exactly what you carried. Are you going to put something on Outdoors Magic about exactly what you took and do a bit of a kit review? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I learned a lot about outdoor gear and, and um, the kind of outdoor gear you need for this kind of trip and limitations of certain certain different types of outdoor gear, which was actually quite fascinating, really. But uh, the pack weight was a struggle because while the base weight was six kilograms, for those stretches where it was particularly wild and I had to have a lot of food in my pack, you you just you noticed it you, it was so noticeable having those supplies and so the pack did at times just feel ridiculously heavy and in the, in the past with long distance walking I've kind of found that by the end of the trip you almost don't feel like you're wearing the pack you, you just don't feel the weight but that was never the case with this run it was just always I was always aware of the weight on my back but yeah, it was. I'm very lucky with Outdoors Magic because my job is essentially as an outdoor gear reviewer. I was able to get to kind of fine tune my kit and call in the the exact stuff that I wanted for it. But keep yeah, keep an eye on the website Outdoors Magic to see my write up of what went well and what didn't. I think it should make quite interesting reading. So the the kit list did change a little bit, but also by the end I was shedding a lot of stuff quite quickly. So I started the run with three pairs of socks three pairs of pants, a couple of t-shirts. And by the end of it, what I wore over the finish line was 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 essentially all I had, just one pair of pants, pair of socks and one t-shirt <laughs> and shorts. Well, you were you were getting uh, regularly rinsed out by the, the helpful weather. So you, you probably were quite clean by the end. Yeah, personal hygiene was a bit of a challenge along, along the way. I said to myself before starting that I'd wash myself in streams and rivers, lakes and things, but the weather was, was so rough that, you know, the last thing you want to do is strip down and, and jump in a stream when it's pouring down with rain. So, so like you said, often my means of keeping clean was actually just running through the rain and hoping it washed me. So, yeah, that was one of the challenging elements of it, definitely. How did you manage to stay warm? You know, when you, when you stopped, particularly, how did you stay warm? Good question, actually. I'm not sure I did, really. Um, <laughs> I, I did have a good waterproof jacket, and I was really pleased with how that performed for me. It's a Hagloss limb jacket. I pretty much wore it the whole time. It's one of those jackets that's very protective, but also breathable, so I could just wear it constantly. And then underneath, I had a layer of synthetic insulation. And I really, if anyone's considering a challenge that might be a bit damp, I'd say go for synthetic insulation. You won't regret it because even if it does get soaked through, you're still going to get that warmth. And I think that was vital. The other the other ways I kept warm, I suppose, was taking any opportunity I could for shelter. So if I passed by a pub, I'd stop in and, and have a cup of tea. And a simple cup of tea can rescue a day. It can really turn things around. So <laughs> I didn't deprive myself of, of those kind of luxuries. But then I, I remember a four-day stretch where there wasn't a shop, wasn't a cafe, wasn't a pub, wasn't a campsite, absolutely nothing. So yeah, there's a, a lot of um, suffering because of that on the trip. Yeah, I think people listening to this might be quite surprised when you say things like that, that there was four days of being so remote and so cut off and so isolated in Wales. I think people have got this picture of Wales and it's maybe a really narrow picture of just Snowdonia and how crowded it is there and, you know, a couple of other hotspots. But actually, there's huge chunks of Wales that people just either don't know about or ignore Um yeah, the, the, the irony is that I was actually looking forward to getting to Snowdonia, which some would say is the wildest part of Wales, because I knew that there'd be much more in the way of cafes and pubs and, and campsites. Whereas in mid, mid Wales, that's where it was really, really challenging. And that's where I had the four day isolated stretch. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it really is a wild place, Mid Wales, especially around the area called the Elenith, which is um, travel writers in the 19th century coined it the Green Desert of Wales. And it is a very appropriate name for it. It's a it's a bleak, but also a beautiful place as well. Beautifully bleak in a way. And I was actually quite lucky to have quite good weather going through it. I've been through there before on the Cambrian Way and I had terrible, terrible weather. And that's the kind of place where you don't want to be going through it with rough weather. But it was the yeah, the nature of my route going through that through there as well. And actually through, throughout the whole of Wales, the nature of the route, it just kept me high all the time, high up on the tops. So there was no opportunity to drop down into a town or village when there were opportunities to drop down to to find facilities it would just mean extra miles it would mean a climb back up and often that just wasn't an attractive option so I had to make sure I was well supplied and, and stocked for barren stretches essentially. Well you're the president of Ramblers Cymru and you've been walking in and around Wales your whole life and you're mad keen on Wales you know you were one of the first people to do the Wales Coast Path walk but even for you there were bits that you hadn't been to and and explored which is again another surprise I think. Yeah the the places that that surprised me and that I'd say stood out as being particularly wild and um, yes surprising parts of Wales were were the Bowens definitely also around Arambowdy which is near Bala and then um, the stretch around Plinlimon as well and the Radnor Forest. Just um, some really, really beautiful parts of Wales. And actually, thinking back to them now, I'm looking forward to going back to see them again. And that was the wonderful thing about this run, just discovering all these new, incredible parts of Wales. So getting back to the actual route, you said you were doing all the nuttles. Uh, so the Nuttles, I don't know if you're aware that John and Anne Nuttall are Cicerone authors and they compiled this list of the Nuttles, which are particular mountains. So you didn't choose which mountains to run, did you? No, I didn't know. That was um, completely beyond my choice. It was, yeah, you're right. It was the Nuttles list. I've been saying that I've been climbing 189 mountains, but actually I think the list stands at 188 at the moment. It's it's a real movable feast and it's really hard to keep up with it. So I kind of nailed on to 189 because I know that the list is currently 188. But then the two people who walked the route a couple of years ago said that they climbed 190. So I figured 189 was a bit of a safe bet. And I ended up following the GPX route that the two people who walked it had created. But then also to be safe, every three days I'd, I'd sit down in my tent and I'd kind of mark out each one that I need to take in along the way. And that that was a real that was quite a difficult part of the journey actually, and I was kicking myself a little bit that I didn't do more prior planning in terms of marking out those nettles because the actual worry of missing one was quite a lot of pressure to think that after two weeks of running I could look at the map and think, oh, hang on, three days ago I missed that mountain, and then I'm thinking, well, do I then just stop or do I carry on? And I did actually, it, it did come to that situation one day. I'd had a really hard day in the Moyle Winion, very, very misty, windy and wet. I'd been running around like a headless chicken, bagging nettles in every direction. And that night I had my first hotel of the trip and I couldn't wait for it. I was so excited. And I ran a bath, got into the bath the first time I'd actually properly washed on the whole trip, opened up the Go For A Walk website to to check my route for the next day. And an outlying nuttle suddenly caught my eye on the map. And in the back of my mind, the kind of alarm bells went off. And I thought, hang on, I don't remember that. 
And I thought, I said to myself, just don't look at it because you don't want to know what that mountain is and whether you've done it or not. And I thought, but, you know, if I get to the end of this trip, that that mountain will always be in the back of my mind that I didn't do it. And sure enough, I realized that I had missed it out. And I was quite lucky because actually it wasn't too far off my route to go and re-bag. The name of it is Moyle Penamnen, and it's just beyond Moyle Shabod near Blino Fistinyog. And it, it meant actually about three days later into my trip, I had to make, a, I'd say about a half day detour to go and rebag it. I'm not a ticker or a peak bagger kind of thing who's in it for the, the numbers, that kind of thing. I wanted to have a fun trip. So would it really have mattered if I'd missed out a mountain? Would, would I have stopped? I'm not sure. I think to be honest, and I feel quite guilty about it, I did end up being very, very focused on climbing every mountain in Wales rather than the, the adventure side of things. And before I set out, I said to my partner, Hannah, don't worry, when when this told, if, if it stops being fun, I'll stop. <laughs> but two weeks in, it did stop being fun because of the switch in weather. But after two weeks of a three-week trip, can you stop? <laughs> I, just, I thought, no, not after everything I've done. I've got to just get through the final week. Yeah, you've got to find things to motivate you, haven't you? Um, you've still got to have something that makes you carry on when things are, are hard and everything's hurting and it's cold and you're hungry but I think for you what must have been really motivating was the charitable aspect and that sounded to me like that was another really big part of why you did this to raise money for the charities Mountains Over Mind. Yeah it's been incredible actually because I originally set out to raise £2,000 for them and the total I think we reached that target on the first day of my trip and it's just been going up and up and up and up and up and I think we might even have just hit £12,000 which is is incredible and it's a small charity and it's quite a a young charity and I like to think that that money will make a, a big big difference and they do such fantastic stuff. I've been saying that they they don't just change lives, they save lives with what they do. So yeah, I've been incredibly proud to work with them and support them. Um, If you haven't, if anyone listening isn't familiar with Mind Over Mountains, it's worth having a look at what they do. So they essentially provide memorable outdoor experiences for people who are going through difficult periods with their mental health and struggling with their well-being. And they give people access to nature. They take them to places that they wouldn't necessarily have access to. And I've always been really lucky that accessing the wild places of Wales has been quite easy for me. But I appreciate that for a lot of people, it isn't so easy. So if I can help people access it through Mind Over Mountains, yeah, I'd, I'd be very proud. Like you said, they're not they're not changing lives, they're saving lives. What more could you ask for? It's just, it's fantastic. What a great charity to raise money for and what a great challenge. Yeah, shout out to Hannah, Chris and Alex for what they do there. Excellent charity. And I think, yeah, that money will make a big difference to them. I think the money will. And I think there'd be loads of people who don't realise what benefit being outside can have on your mental health. And actually, it doesn't need to be something crazy like you've done running all these mountains, but actually just being outside, having that connection with nature, going for a little walk, anything like that. It's always been something that I've clung to when my mental health is dipped. It's just it's so important to me. And I think there's there's probably people who haven't experienced that. And it's it's a really nice thing to have in your armory of tools, I guess, that, you know, when, when I'm feeling a bit this way or that way, I know now that I can go out for a walk or I can get some fresh air at the top of the hill and just be helped by that. It, it, it can completely change your frame of mind, can't it? You can go out, go for a quick walk doesn't like you said it doesn't have to be anywhere particularly wild but more often than not you'll come back feeling a little bit better at least and in a different state of mind I think and that's something that I definitely say has always applied to me. 
Yeah, especially if you can go out and get warm nice and easily and just pop the kettle on and, and make a brew. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind yeah. of uh, more more comfortable. But there's something really nice, even in all, all weathers, I think, there's just something nice about being on the top of a hill or I quite like going out and looking at the sea and just having that very real sense of perspective that we are small and the world is big and there's something about the big skies and the big views that just make me feel quite insignificant in quite a comforting way. I'm sure that doesn't work for everybody but for me it's just a really nice thing. I don't think we're we're awakening our senses enough either or we're not utilizing them as much as we could and getting out in the elements really can set off different kind of parts of your mind can't it smells the the sounds and the feel of the wind hammering into your face you know when we're, we're sat on the sofa watching tv you're not getting that kind of kick at all are you yeah there's some good pictures on your instagram of you getting that sort of kick <laughs> 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 to, to be honest, looking at some of the pictures, I do almost feel the wind in my face because you've got like a face of pain and shiny eyes and a bit of a grimace. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can feel what he's going through right there. <laughs> there was a lot of that. There was a lot of um, that kind of um, suffering. Yeah. But I think in some of those pictures, you can kind of see that there's also a bit of a glint in my eye because um, although at the time that it felt very, very difficult. In hindsight, I think people talk about type two fun. And actually, I'm starting to reminisce already. It's only a few days since <laughs> yeah. I got back. But I'm thinking, yeah, that was a little bit fun, wasn't it? Yeah, when I first got into outdoor stuff, I had a teacher who used to talk about things as a retrospective pleasure. So we'd have like some horrific day outside and, and I'd hate every second of it. And we'd be in the minibus on the way back and he'd say, it's a retrospective pleasure. And as soon as I got home, I started thinking, actually, yeah, that was great. I think it's only really in the outdoors that I get that kind of, like you say, re- retrospective pleasure as well, or type two fun. I can't think of any many other instances in my life where that applies really. Yeah, it's odd. There's something quite addictive about it. What keeps us going, definitely, yeah. Why did you choose October? Good question. Very good question. I was asking myself that quite a lot. <laughs> I think um, in in the end, certain things just ended up. It was really hard actually finding the three weeks to do this. I changed the date of it quite a lot. I think I originally set out to do it about two years ago and the pandemic got in the way. Just finding the three weeks was really hard. And yeah, if I could have done it earlier in the year, that would, would have made things a lot easier because once October rolled around, things started to feel very autumnal and very, very cold by the end of it i genuinely don't think i could have stomached another night out in the elements if things had got that that challenging by the end yeah there was one thing i was reading where you said you just kind of crawled into your tent and you didn't even get in your sleeping bag you just sat there in all your wet kit and again it almost makes me feel soggy and sad and cold thinking of what you must have felt like when you were doing that (laughs) That, that was the last night as well, the last night of the yeah. whole challenge, which is why the whole thing was so tough right up until the bitter end. Yeah, that was in the, the Carnedi, and I, I, I told myself that, right, okay, by the end of today, I'd like to be here so that tomorrow I can just roll down into Conway at the finish. And the weather and the wind really hampered my plans, and I was out until about 9 o'clock in the wind and rain, climbing kind of very rocky, bouldery mountains, trying to make up the time. And in the end, I just thought, what are you doing here? Why Why do you need to do this? So I saw a flat patch of grass and just decided to throw my tent up. And yeah, I got in and everything was soaked through. And I just sat there and just had a moment thinking like, why are you doing this? um, but then also just the realization that well actually you don't have to do this for much longer this is pretty much as bad as it's going to get for you now 
And it was quite strange on the train home up the next day, thinking that only about 12 hours earlier, the kind of horrible situation I'd been in and and uh, how long ago that then seemed, how far away away from that situation I, wa- I was. But yeah, I'm already looking back on that that time fondly now with uh, <laughs> a kind of a, a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, Hannah will be looking for you tonight and you'll be sat in your garden in the rain just going, I just miss it, I just miss it. <laughs> so... I mean, you've been back for two days now. Have you got anything planned next or are you still in recovery? I've been saying to everyone that I just want to lead a quiet country life for the next few uh, weeks or months. But now that the injuries are starting to kind of fade away and um, I I suppose the the oversimplicity of normal life is starting to kind of mean that certain ideas are creeping into my mind. (laughs) Take take me back to the mountains where... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All I need to worry about is um, where I can get some chocolate bars. <laughs> I did an interview with a magazine yesterday and they asked the same question. And for some reason, the Paddy Buckley just popped into my head. Kind of ideas like that are starting to creep in. Because what I learned from the, the run was that I, I really surprised myself with my endurance. And um, I enjoyed running in the mountains. And I'd quite like to do a little bit more and <laughs> and see where that, that, I suppose you could say, newfound endurance can take me. So perhaps one day i'd like to have a crack at the paddy buckley see if i can do it in 24 hours but still very very early days like i said quite life in the country for me for now i think the endurance thing is a really good point because you hadn't done loads of training you weren't at your fittest when you set off you had a couple of injuries and for me anyway it's been able to continue when things aren't going well that is the key to the endurance you know if you were just superman and everything was working and you could keep going forever it's less impressive to be able to do that than actually when things are starting to hurt and you've got niggly injuries and you can somehow power through there was a lot of i suppose physical and mental endurance with it so there was a lot of decision making that had to be done and that was really challenging each day i had to think about which route i'd be taking how far i i could aim how fast i needed to go where i could resupply how i'd handle the route given the weather forecast i'm thinking about the point at which i was in snowdonia and my preset route meant that i was the next day would be going up the nantley ridge but the weather forecast said that it was going to be very, very bright and clear that day. And then all the rest of the days after it were going to be horrendously stormy and miserable. And I decided that actually I was going to add more miles onto my trip by going, instead of going up the Nantley Ridge, I'd add on more miles and take on the Snowdon Massive while the weather was good, which meant climbing Crib Gorch and traversing its kind of knife edge ridge and a fluid, the other ridge on the other side, in conditions that were safe rather than stormy conditions where I could be putting myself in a bit of a tricky situation. So it meant more miles, a lot more miles onto my day in a kind of very inconvenient route. But I was actually really glad that I made that decision to reroute and take it on in better conditions. So there are a lot, a lot of moments like that where I had to make a decision just purely by myself. And that, that was that was a very hard aspect of the trip. But like I said, I'm proud of those decisions that I made. And um, I definitely learned a lot about myself and what I'm capable of from from the last three weeks. Yeah, I think that's really important. Having the flexibility in your plan to be able to move things around so that things are safer. You know, you don't want to be doing those in really bad weather. And you probably took a much safer decision that maybe you wouldn't have been able to had you been fixated on doing it in a set number of days or a set time. Yeah, I had to. I had, and, and because of that, I had to check myself sometimes and say, look, what's the sensible thing to do here rather than the one track minded way of doing things? 
Do you think you'll get people now who try to do it quicker and quicker? I'd love it to be a thing. The Will Rennick round. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's too hard to say. The Rennick round or the Rennick run or something. Yeah, the Rennick round's fine. The Will Will Rennick round is a bit of a tongue twister. Probably a bit too much, yeah. So it had only been walked, I think, by the two people beforehand and no one had run it. So, yeah, it would be amazing if someone else had a crack at it. I don't mind whether they do it faster at all. I will personally be there at the finish line because I think it's it's just such an interesting route. And the fact that it is, okay, it is a squiggly line, but I don't think there are many countries that could have such a somewhat linear link up between all the mountains. I can't think of anywhere else where it could be so south to north or so relatively straight. I think it's got potential to be a thing and uh, I very much encourage someone else to take it on so long as you're aware that it, you're in for a pretty rough few weeks, that's for sure. Right, well, this is a call for, for all the ultra runners in the UK. Should we at Damien Hall with, with this one and say, come on, Damo, take on the Rennick round? He's what he's who I've got in <laughs> mind, actually. Yeah, this is a, yeah. a personal call out. Damien Hall, it's up to you now. Yeah, he'll he'll love it. He'll probably do it in, I don't even know what he'd do it in, three days or something, no sleep. Yeah, probably would. He's a machine. Well, yeah, you've done an incredible thing, raised, what did you say, nearly £12,000 for Mountains Over Mind, and just incredible. By the time this podcast goes out, it'll probably be even more. Um, How can people donate to the charity? I've got a Just Giving page. Uh, it's justgiving.com forward slash Wales 190. That would be the best way to find it. Um, if anyone could spare some money, I'd be so, so grateful. It's been amazing to see the money go up. And I'm really, really proud of the total so far. And I'd love to keep growing it. And how can people find out more about you and what you're up to next? Outdoorsmagic.com would be a good place to keep an eye on, but also my social media. So on Instagram, I'm Will underscore Rennet. Twitter, I'm Will Walks Wales. Not on TikTok yet? Not on TikTok. No, I've been keeping off that. There's already too many social media channels for me to keep up with. Saying that, that during the three weeks of running, I was posting quite regularly on social media and it was actually so nice to have this kind of virtual army of support behind me. Someone got in touch on Instagram saying, hey, Will, it looks like you're going past our farm. If you want a cup of tea or coffee, just knock on our door. And it was like a guardian angel coming out from nowhere. And this person's farm was right on my route, exactly where I needed it. And I knocked on the door and it led to me staying in the caravan in their farmyard and um, them giving me the most delicious soup I've ever tasted. <laughs> and um, and then they sent me off with a packed lunch and it was just, that took me from a real low to a real high. There were so many instances like that on the trip. Carrie, if you're listening, thank you very much. That was just transformative for me. I think the outdoor community is very kind and friendly. I think you find that a lot when you're out in the hills and people just chatting and saying hi. There's, it is a really nice group of people. I think also it's just a, a kind of like a smile or hello or just someone stopping and asking what you're up to or, or where you're heading. With these kind of challenges where you're in these kind of isolated mountain parts alone for such a long time, that that can make a massive difference, just having a bit of interaction with people. Um, there was so many nice people I met along the way. It's um, yeah, it just goes such a long way. Just a friendly hello or something. Yeah, thanks. Well, that was that was really cool. That's really interesting. Thanks very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. It all feels worth it now. Like I said, to be back with a roof over my head and a comfy sofa to sink yeah. into, and and the fundraising total, all absolutely worth yeah. it. I don't regret anything. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. 
I'd love to know what you think or if there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Please email live at cicerone.co.uk or leave a review on your podcast platform. You can follow or subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss new episodes or you can sign up to our newsletter for all our latest news, events and guidebooks. Visit cicerone.co.uk for further details. We'll be back soon, but please come and join us on our social channels. We're on all the main ones as Cicerone Press, and we also have a Facebook group, Cicerone Connect, where you can meet and chat to other outdoor enthusiasts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon.